0: hello everyone and welcome to the middle of culture i'm one of your hosts eden and i'm your other host peter hey peter
1: how you been i've been hanging in there how about yourself
0: also trying to just you know (laughs) stay alive in this hot hot summer
1: See, and that is really interesting because for us, uh, it it has actually been pretty cool. So, for example, yesterday, the 21st of June, the first official day of summer, uh, it was 37 degrees in the morning.
0: What?
1: Yeah. It got warmer today. It got up to the high 70s, but we have had very few days in the eighties. And if you look at the mountains uh, that are kind of around the valley we're in, there are still fairly good sized patches of snow at the very, very top, which is very unusual. It's usually, you know, we're usually halfway to complete Brown by now and things are still fairly green and there's still some snow at the top. So I've been That's loving wild. It for us, but I have heard that it is hella hot elsewhere.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty. It's been pretty toasty here. It's like, it's one of those times where you're like, oh, so the air conditioner is just going to basically be on all day, huh? It's one of those kind of days. Yeah, that's no fun. No, it's not fun at all. But it's niceish outside right now. It's late that's enough, weird. and uh, so my partner is outside in the yard. And when she inevitably comes in, our, my dogs are going to go crazy. I'm sure Peter will cut it from the pod. But uh, they'll get so excited and so jealous that she was outside and they were not.
1: I mean, to be fair, they do,
0: right? they're murderers. I had to dispose of three separate dead bunnies today that they found in the yard and killed. Oh, dear. So I'm annoyed with them. <laughs>
1: you know, our dog does not kill. Uh, that we have seen, mm. um, the cat, however, is, uh, regularly presenting us with birds for the most part, because I think he may have done most of the mice. If there were any, every once in a while, we'll find a mouse, but, uh, he has presented us in the, uh, in the garage, at least four separate times with, uh, birds, sometimes as big as a big Robin that he, uh, he went to town on. That's pretty wild.
0: The it wildest. Um, my dog Lily loves to also present. Like, the other dogs, if Liza catches something, she eats it. It's gone. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But if Lily catches it, she's like, aren't you so proud of me? Look <laughs> at what I did for you. Uh-huh. I'm going to drop this at your feet. Aren't you so proud of me? And it's hard <laughs> not to be a little proud of her.
1: Right. Um, I mean. She's just doing what she thinks she should.
0: Even so. uh, My favorite thing she ever did, though, not favorite because it was still brutal, but the most amazing murder she's ever done is there was a bird that was swooping down. With us, it's usually rodents. It's usually voles or rabbits more than anything else. It's usually rabbits because there's lots of rabbits in our neighborhood. And they're stupid enough to, like, have their bunnies in my yard. And then my dogs find it, and they're like, oh, this is like if I found just, like, A secret supply of Snickers somewhere in the house if you were a human. Right? So they just go to town on them like they're little Snickers bars. But one time there was this bird flying down and it like kind of swooped and Lily like leapt into the air, caught it in midair, and then like spun and landed. And it was the wildest thing I had ever seen. And then of course she brought it to me. So proud of herself. And I was like, thanks. sure, <laughs> Thanks so much for this sweet, but it is what it is. So you've been, uh, you've been up to anything fun the last couple of weeks. I know you said you've been busy.
1: Yeah. Things have been busy. Um, but I have gotten into a few things. Um, I haven't really read much. I have been watching, um, you know, parks and recreation is. That is comfort food for me. I Sure, watched it before of course and and so honestly, uh, when I'm feeling stressed, if I do have a spare bit of time, I'll watch an episode or two of Parks and Rec because it makes me laugh, it's enjoyable and uh yeah. So, definitely watch some of that. Um but a couple other things, you know, on the music front, I continue to be somewhat irrationally obsessed, uh, with the most two recent albums, uh, from cattle decapitation. And so, uh, the other night I had, uh, it wasn't a bad day in the office. It was just incredibly busy. And, you know, I was double and triple booked all the time and, and basically like, did not really sit down and do anything. Um, from 8 o'clock in the morning till about 6 at night when I finally wrapped up notes and stuff. I think it was actually 6.30. Jeez. And, you know, I got home and I just said to my wife, I said, Hey, I just need I need some music therapy. And so I put in some headphones and broke out one of my stupid little uh, digital audio players with uh, my high-res lossless music files on it <laughs> and fired up uh, cattle decapitation. And, uh, in thoroughly have been enjoying that. I don't know that I could articulate why, uh, the music, their music is clicking with me so much right now. Um, it could be, there's a chance just, just saying there's a chance that, uh, some of it stems from the fact that lyrically, uh, they tend to espouse, uh, a fairly, a uh, potent uh, misanthropy for uh, humanity sort of as a whole. Um, and excuse me, not misanthropy, um, just but like um, basically a hatred of humanity.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, it's misanthropy.
1: Yeah, Okay. That's what I thought. And then all of a sudden it didn't sound right. So thank you. My brain just, anyway, that's where I've been. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here going, yeah, you know what? Maybe they're not wrong. Maybe there are too many people on this planet. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've been, but I've been really enjoying that listening to them an awful lot. And then, uh, in terms of movies, um, uh, you know, we'll obviously we'll talk about one that I've seen tonight, but, you know, two weeks ago we, uh, you know, I watched into the spider verse. We talked about it Friday night, everybody was gone. I was home alone And I decided it was time to finally watch uh, the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie. Mm. And I enjoyed it. I think that it was better than it perhaps had any right to be. Uh, It's it's a fun show and it's got some heart to it. And uh, again, you know, I think that Chris Pine puts in an excellent performance. He's a ton of fun to watch. But when does he not? Right. I mean, that's the thing.
0: There's a reason he's Um, the best Chris.
1: (laughs) You know, I I think I would not argue with you. Um, So I enjoyed that. My only disappointment in that is as we talked about two weeks ago into the spider verse is a very special movie. And as you're watching it, you just get this feeling that you're watching something special honor amongst thieves uh, is not a special movie. It is (laughs) very competently well done movie in the Dungeons & Dragons world, that I thought they did a fantastic job of making it a fun, enjoyable fantasy movie for people who know nothing about Dungeons and & Dragons. And then for people who know more about D&D, there are just little Easter eggs all over the place, just all throughout. Uh, so it's it, it kind of works, I think, really effectively on two levels. But it's, it's not a special movie in the way that... Uh, into the spider verse was. So I was feeling a little let down until I kind of got over that. Um and then the final thing I'll mention is up until about Monday cuz again this week has been kind of crazy and and I've had stuff after work and everything. Uh but I've been putting a lot of time into Diablo 4. And I am really really enjoying
0: Diablo 4. Yeah? Yeah. I it's just fun. um Oh, go ahead. Tell, tell me about why you're say, enjoying it.
1: Well, you know, I think the story is, is as much as there is a story, I think it's fairly interesting. I actually, as a villain, I am finding Lilith, one of the more interesting and compelling uh, villains in Diablo games. I think that, uh, I think she's interesting. And uh, so I'm enjoying that. Uh, and just, you know, I mean, the Diablo Skinner box is, uh, something that we've talked about before, but, you know, well aware of well, accustomed to, uh, and I'm enjoying it. I like what they're doing a little different. I'm enjoying the skill tree and being able to kind of add passive skills and do a whole bunch of different things that, you know, I'm getting abilities that are kind of automatically firing off randomly based on probably little RNG roles that are happening in the background and such. But, uh it's good. It's uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm not uh in the I don't know. I was on uh just kind of browsing YouTube the other day and of course the YouTube algorithm throws up a oh, you know, here's the best, you know, hurry and farm this dungeon before uh blizzard uh nerfs it and and I was getting ready to go click on it and then I realized no At one point in Diablo 3, I started to fall down the rabbit hole of like optimizing a build and, you know, farming for specific loot and this kind of stuff. And it didn't take very long until it was starting to feel like work and not like fun for me. And so I stopped myself before I started doing that and thought, you know what? No, right now I'm just playing to have fun. I don't need to optimize every little thing currently. If I want to do that at some point, cool. But right now, no, I'm just going to play it. So...
0: Well, I'm glad you're having fun with it.
1: Yeah. So what about you?
0: Um, yeah, I have been kind of busy too, but I've checked out a few things. Um, in terms of reading, I have been reading a comic series called magical girl, spec ops, Asuka, and that's a fucked up comic book, man. (laughs) Um, very fascinating name. Well, here's the deal. This is a comic that literally advertises on the cover that it has a military advisor oh, for the comic okay. about magical girls. Sure. So you know you're getting something different than Sailor Moon when it says on the cover that Naoya Tamura is the military advisor for this comic book. Um, but basically, like, I, I have engaged in a lot of magical girl media. Uh, some of it I really, really like. Some of it I like less of um but you know one of my all-time favorite comics magical night where magical night ray earth is a magical girl uh, comic it also has mechs in it which is what makes it so magical to me is what if you combine sailor moon with gundam and then you get magical night ray earth um it's very good um but there's been a lot of talk there's this one specific magical girl uh series that came out in the late 2000s early 2010s called uh uh Madoka Madoka Magica is basically the name of it and like when it came out everyone was like oh man this is like the like twisted magical girl series this shows how like weird and twisted magical girls could get and I watched it after having like supped at the feast table of what like the traditional magical girl is read and watched Sailor Moon, read and watched Cardcaptor Sakura, you know, read all of Phantom Thief Gene, read all of Tokyo Mew Mew, and then I watched Matica, and everyone was like, Oh, this is like dark and twisted. And I was like, No, it's not. It's just a magical girl show. It's not, <laughs> it's not dark and twisted. You just never watched Sailor Moon, so you don't know how fucked up Sailor Moon can get sometimes. Um, because you're a misogynist. And that's usually what it comes down to. It's usually dudes who are like, this one's the cool one, because it's twisted. And it's like, Sailor Moon is so much more fucked up than Madica could ever be, and you don't know because that's a show for girls. <laughs> um But the fact remains. Magical Girl Spec Ops Asuka. That is the level of fucked up that everyone seemed to promise that Matica was. This is a messed up comic book. It is, specifically it is about what if magical girls became agents of the state and were part of spec ops organizations and use their magical powers to do things like kill terrorists and catch drug dealers and stop military incursions. And it's really messed up. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. why I'm still reading it, but I am still reading it. I don't know if I'm enjoying it, but I am still reading it. I'm seven volumes in. There's 14 volumes total. I'll probably have it all read by next time. But like, it's a pretty messed up book. It's, it, it's mm-hmm. really purient. It's extremely violent. It is overly horny. Um, it is just, it like revels in violence in a way that's really uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm still reading it. So there must be something there because I still keep okay. reading it. I haven't just said, why am I reading this and stopped? I'm saying, why am I reading this and picking up the next volume? All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll report back and see what happens by the end. It's a pretty messed up comic. Um, in terms of films, uh, I went and saw the new Transformers movie transformers rise of the beasts and And you were was that you were a little too old to be into beast wars right
1: i was it had come after i had left the transformer station
0: yeah i mean it was like you were 16 17 when beast wars was coming out so like you were a little too old for that i was 10 or 11 so i was right there for beast wars and i really liked beast wars growing up i watched a lot of it i thought it was really cool Um, So I was really excited at the prospect of getting some of my, you know, maximal friends in this uh, Transformers movie. Sure. What I will say about Rise of the Beasts is that this is a perfectly three out of five movie. Okay. It is a perfect three out of five movie where it ain't that good, but it's perfectly watchable. Sure. The effects were pretty fun. It had a good selection of robots. I liked the main characters in a way that the only other movie where I liked the main humans was the Bumblebee movie. Because I did not... Guess who doesn't care about Sam Witwicky or Cade whatever whatever Mark Wahlberg's last name is? I don't care about those people. So it was hard to give a shit about those movies because I only cared about the robots who were also poorly characterized. In this one, it's okay if the robots are poorly characterized because there are humans that are kind of likable and that you like to see on screen and that you're interested to see what happens to them nice but perhaps most importantly my girl rc got lines in this one okay she's my favorite transformer of all time rc the standout like steals the show in the Transformers 1986 animated movie, which still remains the best Transformers movie, which is sad because it's not very sure. good, but it does have Weird Al singing Dare to be Stupid playing one of the junk cons. So
1: yes, it does.
0: that automatically makes it better than most movies because Weird Al is <laughs> in it. Um, but so is R.C., and she steals the show. And then they've made a series of these live-action ones where R.C., made an appearance on screen in Revenge of the Fallen, but didn't say a word. Okay. And R.C. made an appearance on screen at the beginning of Bumblebee when they were still on Cybertron, looking incredible. The design from Bumblebee, great. I don't think she said a line. I don't think she has a line in the film. She's just like, they, when it comes to the Transformers toy line, that first 10 minutes of Bumblebee when they're on Cybertron was like the money printing factory because all they did was make toys of every single one of those robots It doesn't even have a line, but they look dope as hell because the design work is really good in Bumblebee. and they just, It's just a money printer. That's all that was, that first 10 minutes of that movie. Okay. But she's in this movie, and she has lines, and she's essentially the second in command of the Autobots. So that was enough okay. for me to be like, hey... My girl RC is here. She got the one F-bomb in the movie. So <laughs> that's a win right there. So if you like the Transformers, go see it. But probably just wait till it's on, on you know streaming and watch it then. But it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it.
1: Good. Yeah, I think I'm going to be on the stream it and watch it then.
0: I, I think that that makes sense. That was one that like when I said, hey, Cassie, I want to go see Transformers. And she was like, I hope you want to go see that one alone. And I said, I do. I'll go see that one alone. <laughs> so I did. Um, and then lastly, uh, in games, I'll mention very quickly, uh, I did do the uh, ex- the DLC for Forspoken, which I mentioned last episode. I really enjoyed that game. Uh, I did the DLC. It's very short. It was like three hours, but it was pretty fun. It was worth my 10 bucks or however much it was. It was thankfully not very expensive because it was not very big. Okay. Um, but I had a fun time with it, and I really think that is a great game. My biggest disappointment is that the DLC ends with, like, a great sequel hook for a game that is literally never going to get a sequel. There is no world where Forspoken gets a sequel because it sold like dog shit and they closed the studio. Yeah. Which is a shame, but it is what it is. I really enjoyed it. We'll literally never get any payoff for all of that setup in the the first game, but it is what it is. Um, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I played it. But most importantly, Peter, do you see what date it is that we're recording today? Oh, I do.
1: In fact, I may have already said something to my wife about, I'll be curious to
0: see how long Eden talks about. Um, it's the first of Clive's myths, everyone. It's Clive Advent. We're here. It's Final Fantasy 16 release day, babies. <laughs> and I took off work so I have just been playing all day other than we, nice. went to, we went to dinner with a friend and I'm recording this podcast I literally have my Playstation paused mid cutscene and I, as soon as we're done recording and I upload the file I'm heading back there heading back into the Final, F- Final Fantasy 16 trenches for god only knows how long till I'm too tired and I have to go to bed again because I took tomorrow off work too uh, nice here's the thing um, I'm really enjoying it it's really good so far. I'm very curious to see how I'll feel about it when it's all said and done. Sure. I don't think I, the reviews I've seen are saying 30, 40 hours. If you just like main quest it and like 50, 60, if you do side quests, I'm doing side quests. So I still got a lot to go. Cause I've only been playing today. Um, so I'm very curious to see how I feel about it, but so far it's really good. It's extremely good. Um, the combat is all action now. Like it is, n- there's no turn-based bits to it anymore. Okay, um, which is a little divisive. Um, a lot of people are like, "Well, how is this? How is this Final Fantasy if it's not turn-based?" And to those people, I say. Bravely Default 2 and Octopath Traveler are right there waiting for you. Square is still putting those games out; they just don't have the name Final Fantasy anymore. Yeah. And maybe they should, and maybe they would sell better if they called it like Final Fantasy Side Story: colon, Octopath Traveler. They didn't. I don't know why they didn't. They probably should have. But they're there. You are being well fed, turn-based RPG lovers. Oh yeah. This one's f- this one's for the sickos who are like, you know what's cool? Devil May Cry what if you made Devil May Cry 40 hours long and put in a Final Fantasy game? Because that's what this game is. This is Devil May Cry, but Final okay. Fantasy. So it's really, like, the action is really, really exciting. And it has a very interesting way of doing, I and I don't know if I love it, but I understand where they were coming from. The way of doing accessibility is you are given a series of rings. Like, you, can, you know, you can equip up to three accessories at a time. Uh And you're given a series of rings that are special accessibility rings. And if you equip them, they'll make the game easier for you. It does mean that then you can't like equip the, hey, this makes my firepower 8% stronger. But you can equip a ring that says, hey, instead of pushing four buttons for this combat, what if I just push the one and the game says, what's the best thing to do right now? I'll do that for you. And then it looks like you know what you're doing and play, and good at playing an action game when you're not good at playing action games. But you sure <laughs> look like it, and you're sure having fun mashing that square button over and over and over again. And, oh, what's this other ring? The other ring makes it so that you don't have to command your companion, the dog Torgle. You don't have to command Torgle to do stuff. He just does it automatically. Great. So like I have equipped these different rings that have made it a lot easier to play the game cuz I can see if you're playing at a higher difficulty and you didn't equip the rings this could be like really chunky like I say Devil May Cry style combat where like sure. you got to pay a lot of attention to dodges and parries and you got to do a lot of movement and it's really fast paced or you can put it on story mode put a couple of these really easy rings on mash square and occasionally dodge and have the time of your life and that's how i'm playing it i'm having a great time i a lot of the like pre-press was like oh this is like game of thrones game of thrones and here's the thing do i see
1: that in a couple things i've read in passing
0: i see the influence of game of thrones on it but do you know what i think is a bigger influence on it that nobody's talking about what's that if I was going to give this game a title, I would say Dragon Age, but what if the combat didn't suck ass? Oh, okay. Because I see a lot of the DNA of Dragon Age in this, um, but it's fun to play in a way that especially Dragon Age Origins is simply not a fun video game to play because that is no. dog shit combat.
1: Yeah, it's it is it's incredibly clunky and, uh, and just, it, yeah, it punishes you. We're trying to play it, you know, in any way other than the stop, pause, issue command, issue command, issue command, issue command, unpause, pause immediately. You know, it's
0: like, uh. And if I wanted to play that, I'd go play one of those shitty CRPGs like King, like Pathfinder Kingmaker or some crap like that. Guess what? I just want to mash the buttons, guys. And like, <laughs> eventually, Dragon Age Inquisition is okay. It's not terrible. It's okay. It's not Bioware's best combat because that's Anthem, but it's okay. But this is really good combat. But I also see a lot of the like DNA of Dragon Age and Game of Thrones, but also some Final Fantasy in there. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. I'm having a blast. Um, so it's pretty fun so far. I'm having a lot of nice. fun. Nice. So Mary Mary Clive is missed to everyone. Sweet all right so we should probably move on to the main event uh those of you who listened to last episode know what the main event is it's time to talk about a current movie we are going to be talking about spider-man across the spider-verse the 2023 sequel to the 2028 film spider-man into the spider-verse if you're curious on our thoughts of into the spider-verse we talked about them at length uh, 2 weeks ago. So go check out the last episode um, cuz this episode we're talking about Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Um we are. because this is a fresh one, we'll do some like impressions, like spoiler-free section at the front and then we'll get into the spoiler zone where we talk about the where we do what we normally do. Talk about the the plot and get into the nitty-gritty of it. But uh before we do that, how did you feel about this movie when you saw it, Peter? Um
1: I've been thinking for almost two weeks how I was going to describe this. Uh-huh. There's no simple, succinct way for me to get there. So, I'm going to not waste time trying to be. I thought it was a really, really good movie. Yes. Visually, it is incredible. Like, just incredible. Think of all the cool things that were done in Into the Spider-Verse and just times them by a hundred. Like, almost literally. I mean there are so many just fascinating things happening on the screen that it is too much to take in in a single viewing. So I'm very looking very much looking forward to watching it again if for no other reason than just visually. Yeah, I think that the story is really cool and my only complaint and it's not really a complaint, it's just a statement of fact is that this clearly is part one of a bigger story.
0: I'll, I'll say it's, it's a minor complaint for me that that's, that's what it is. Yeah. And like I say, that's my only
1: complaint because, and, and again, only because into the spider verse is such a delightfully told, well thought out and contained story unto itself with hints at obviously a much bigger spider verse, but that it is such a satisfying piece of, of art itself that you feel satisfied when it's done. And this one does a great job of making you feel super excited for what's coming next, but you don't get that satisfying. Oh, I just watched a great complete story. This is like, wow. I'm super hyped to finish this story.
0: Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I think I have some complaints with the pacing, um, but that, that, that is so clearly tied up with the fact that this movie literally ends with a text box that says to be continued on it. So like, this is even more of a, this is a first part of a two part film than Avengers infinity war or the yes. Matrix Reloaded, or I was gonna say, or Harry, Harry Potter: Deathly Hallows Part One, but I didn't watch that shit. I have no idea what happens at the end of that stupid movie because fuck Harry Potter and fuck J.K. Rowling. <laughs> um, but I have no idea what happens at the end of that movie because I refuse and we'll never see it. Um, no, I but never, this I is so—I don't know. This is so clearly the first half and a whole lot of setup for what I hope is some really potent payoff in March when the yeah. third part comes out. But I did leave the cinema feeling a little disappointed that I didn't get much resolution. I got yep. a lot of promise, but I didn't get a lot of resolution. So as a, a as a story, I feel like that is a weakness to it, even though I really enjoyed my time with it. And like you said, the way that it turns the animation tricks and 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 funky design choices that they made in the first one they really crank it to 11 with this one ultimately when it finished i was just like damn i gotta wait till march that sucks this uh-huh. really sucks but i'm glad i've seen it and i think that oh, yeah. if If they hit the landing, which I have no reason to not think that they'll hit the landing because the first one was so good and this one sets things up in a really interesting way. Um, If they hit the landing, it's going to be a really special trilogy, all told, just like we talked about last week. It's a really special first movie and I'm really hopeful that they hit the ground running with the third one and it's really something special. Yeah, I agree. So... If you haven't seen it yet and you want to and you don't want to hear us spoil it, then thanks for listening. Come back and listen after (laughs) you've seen the movie. But if you have seen it or if you are not eager to see it and don't care if you get spoiled, let's talk a little bit about what happens in this movie, because a lot happens in it. It's the longest American animated film ever made.
1: Oh, wow. I did not know that.
0: It is 140 minutes, and there's never been an animated film made by an American studio studio that is that long. Um, So that is interesting to know only Japanese studios and like some Hungarian movie called the tragedy of man, which okay, but it's like just that. (laughs) Um, So it's very long and it does a lot of work, but I do think it's really interesting how it really feels like, even though this is a half of a movie, it also has two halves to it because the first half of it before before miles goes on his adventures, it feels like a very different movie than what we get in the back half of this movie. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens. First off, it starts with a framing story about Gwen. We spend the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie with Gwen on Gwen's earth. Um, you know, as we know at the end of, uh, into the spider verse, everyone went back to their home dimensions. Gwen is back in her home dimension. She still cuts everyone off. Um, she it just seems like a really closed off really troubled person um her dad tries to cross that divide like her mom is dead it's just her and her dad her dad kind of tries to cross that divide but doesn't really know how because he doesn't know what she's going through because he's a cop who's specifically trying to catch spider woman for killing the kid of his best friends ben and may parker so he she obviously can't tell him hey dad i'm spider woman Remember how you are hunting me for, you think I killed Peter Parker, but I didn't. Eventually, there's a problem at the Guggenheim. She goes to the Guggenheim, and there is this weird Italian Renaissance-themed vulture there who looks like a da Vinci drawing instead of looking like anything else in Gwen's extremely fluorescent world.
1: Well, and and very painterly. It very much has a watercolor vibe to it, even to the point that at the end, during a you know, without jumping too far ahead, but between a scene between her and her dad, the backgrounds are running. They yeah. look like you. The water paint is like the watercolors are running, and yeah, such. it's 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 a gorgeous, gorgeous aesthetic. The
0: Earth, Earth sixty five, yeah, Earth sixty five, Gwen Stacy's planet is incredible looking and evokes. I mean, I said it last time, and this is even more true this time. It evokes Rico Renzi's art from the Spider Woman comic so well, um, because that is how that art was in that book, and this just captures it perfectly. Um, and it's really, it's really incredible to look at. But again, then all of a sudden, there's a Da Vinci sketch in the middle of this watercolor world. Um, which is weird. And she's trying to figure out what's happening when two other spider people show up, uh, Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099 and Jess drew spider woman, a different spider woman, obviously because she is an extremely pregnant black woman riding a motorcycle as opposed to Gwen Stacy. Um, they are able to subdue the ver- the vulture. Gwen reveals her identity to her dad um, he attempts to arrest her, so she goes on the lam, is able to find Miguel and Jess before they go through one of those, what well, looks to be a a uh, formalized version of the weird portals they were going through in the first movie, and is uh, admitted to the spider society by them. Um, then we cut to Miles. It's been a year and a half since the events of the first movie, so Miles has been trying to adapt to being spider-man doing his chores staying up to date on his on his uh, schoolwork talking to his mom and dad while still being a hero he's he's having some trouble with it which again fair I think that would be really hard
1: sure definitely
0: um he encounters someone who calls himself the spot who is this weird white creature who has spots all over him and he can basically open portals that go from one to the other all over the place and hilarity ensues because of the spot's weird powers he eventually is able to try to capture spot um the spot blames him specifically for because he was an alchemist scientist um who was at the destruction of the collider and that's what caused him to to have these weird powers um and he was the one he find you you find out he was the one that basically transported a spider from another dimension and that is the spider that bit Miles um and then the spot transports himself into the void trying to use the alchemax thing uh Miles is able to shut it down has a heart-to-heart with his dad tries to make it to his dad's uh um a promotion party And just generally having trouble getting it all together. His parents are mad at him. They're having the stern parent talks with him. He's trying to, like, keep his secret identity a secret, but still be there for his parents, but still do what he feels like he needs to do. But also, he's a 16-year-old kid, and he just wants to be a 16-year-old kid. And about that time is when Gwen shows up. And Gwen is like, hey, Miles. It turns out Gwen has been sent there by the Spider Society to track the spot, And she was explicitly told not to talk to Miles. But she couldn't help herself because she still cares about her friend, Miles Morales. And uh, so they meet up. Uh, Miles basically follows Gwen to where she traces the spot and follows her through the portal to Mumbatan, which is Mumbai, Manhattan, essentially, from a different universe where they meet Spider-Man India, which is Pavitur Prabhakar, who is this... Just happy-go-lucky kid who is just super happy to be Spider-Man, and his life seems all together. <laughs> I love, I love Spider-Man India. He's just so chipper. Oh,
1: he's great. He's great. I love the. And, and here we have traffic, and here we see more traffic, and over here is traffic.
0: <laughs> yes, it's very funny. Um, the spot is there to basically try to turn on an Alchemex Collider in a, a in Paviter's world and he's able to do so he's able to enter it they're able to shut it down um but the, the spider collapses um while this is happening miles has a vision that's shared with the spot of miles's dad dying at the spot's hand like the spot killing miles's dad um and then he goes through the portal the collider collapses miles saves um Spider-Man India's girlfriend's father, who is a police captain, but then, like, everything starts falling apart because of what, uh, we come to find out is the disruption of a so-called canon event, because, we'll find out why in a second, uh, a bunch of other Spider-Society people show up. Oh, while this is happening, uh, we also meet Spider-Punk, Hobie Brown, uh, who has also become friends with Gwen, um, and is... I think the scene stealer of every scene he is in.
1: Oh yeah. 100%.
0: I, I think that Hobie is an incredible character. I think he is incredibly acted. And it's one of those things where like, when you're first watching it, you're like, okay, this is some like disaffected kid playing at being an anarchist. And then by the end of the movie, you realize what he was doing the whole movie. And you're like, Oh no, he actually rules. He's actually really, really cool. Um, but anyway he's spider punk he is this punk rock spider-man who just seems so much cooler than everyone else because he is um so because of this canon event happening a bunch of spider spider people like transport in and are trying to, to to contain it and they take uh miles to earth 928 which is where spider-man 2099 is originally from and where he has established the spider society Um, While they're there, they run into Peter B. Parker, who just happens to be bringing along his infant daughter Mayday. So good for him and MJ. They worked it out. They got a kid. It's super cute. Um, But Miguel explains that all of these spider people have canon events that have to happen in the life of a spider person, such as the death of a family member or a police captain close to spider-man and that if you stray from those events it threatens the multiverse it threatens the reality that they're from and that might spin out into other universes so miles by saving Paviter's girlfriend's dad who was a cop from dying has disrupted the canon and so now something is happening to spider-man india's planet like it is unraveling essentially because you have to, every Spider-Man has to have a police captain who they care about who dies. And, you know, to be fair, this goes back to the original Spider-Man comics. When Gwen Stacy's dad dies, yep. that's a thing that happens. And that's a thing that happened to the original Spider-Man. That was another one of his, like his three defining deaths in those early Spider-Man comics are obviously uncle Ben, captain Stacy, and then Gwen herself. And like, those three events are like part of who make Peter Parker who he is in the 60s, which carries on to this day. So Miles, by stopping that for Paviter, is now unraveling that dimension. Um, so Miles realizes that his dad is becoming captain. He had this vision of the spot murdering his dad. This is the canon event in his story. But he knows it's coming, so he knows he needs to stop it. Miguel tries to imprison Miles to prevent him from saving his dad. Um, But Hobie, Spider-Punk, helps Miles break out um, before he tosses his watch and says, I'm out, bye, and disappears. All of the Spider-People are put on alert and sent to chase Miles. And this includes Gwen and Peter B., who get in on the chase betraying their friend in the name of protecting the canon which this is a wild scene it is maybe too long but this is when like shit really starts to hit the fan as miguel as miles is trying to escape from these thousands upon thousands of spider people that are chasing him all over um he is eventually able like miguel corners him And tells him that he was never supposed to become a Spider-Man. His world had his Spider-Man. It was the Spider-Man we saw in the first movie, played by Chris Pine. But because that spider got transported from Earth-42 to Earth-1610 and bit him, Earth-42's planet doesn't have a Spider-Man. And that is why Earth-1610's original Spider-Man died. So he gives Miles the guilt of, because you got bit by this spider your Spider-Man had to die. So you are, his blood is on your hands and which is a shitty thing to do, Miguel. Come on.
1: Oh yeah, totally.
0: But miles being miles is like, no, he manages to escape all these thousands of spider people who are chasing him, makes it back to the base. And with the help of spider bite, who is this digital spider person from another dimension who like basically has a digital avatar there returns to his home dimension. He thinks Gwen also goes home after this reconciles with her father who says, I'm not going to be a police captain anymore. And so she realizes maybe the cannon is malleable because if he's not a police captain anymore, that he doesn't have to be the police captain that dies. Like she had written her father off, which is why she joined the spider society and and run away because she was like, he's going to die. So I just have to close that off now. But now she's realized it doesn't have to be that way. And he hands her one of the teleportation watches, but this is an ad hoc one that Hobie dropped by and stopped stopped by and dropped off for her. Miles, in the meanwhile, returns to his apartment, reveals to his mother that he's Spider-Man. His mom is like, "Haha, funny costume." And he realizes he's not on his home Earth. He's on Earth 42. The world where the spider came from where he was not his own because the thing read his dna and read the earth 42 dna instead of the earth 1610 dna so he has come to a world where his dad is dead uncle aaron is alive and the movie ends with you finding out in this world miles is the prowler and then the movie ends with the spot attacking earth 1610 miles home dimension Gwen assembling a team of renegade spider people with all the hits. We got Peter B. feeling guilty for what he did. We've got Paviter. We've got Hobie. We've got Margo, Spiderbite. And we got our friends who we didn't see from the first movie. Spider-Man Noir, Penny Parker, and Spider-Ham are all back. And this is our team of renegade spiders who are going to go save Miles and help save the day. And that is where the movie ends. Yep. So any specific things you want to shout out about this movie that you thought were great or things that didn't work for you or things that you are hoping they follow up on in the sequel.
1: Sure. So as a whole, again, I think we kind of talked about it. So I'm just going to kind of hit specific scenes that stuck out at me. Please do. Um, One of the scenes I really, really enjoyed is I love when the spot. So, so miles captures the spot, webs him up a bunch, thinks he's got him and he's got him taken care of spot gets free. He's chasing him down. His dad's chasing him down. And there's just this great scene of miles talking to his dad at this construction site. I think it was the wreck of, of the previous Alchemax and just this really great interaction that is Sort of like that little scene we caught at the end of Into the Spider-Verse where, you know, Miles is is talking with his deeper voice and stuff. And we get some more of that, but there's a real, you know, you see these two starting to understand each other without realizing that they're understanding and talking to each other. Yeah. And so I, I liked that scene a lot. I thought that it was very effective at... Again, helping us better understand the relationship between these two human beings.
0: Yeah. And just how, just how hard it is. Like, how do you cross that divide between a father and a son anyway? But like, it's also complicated by, you know, one's a cop and one's a vigilante.
1: Yeah. Again, great scene that, that really I thought was uh, very effective uh, another scene I really like is when Gwen comes and finds him and the two of them are talking and they're way up on this skyscraper on this like kind of ledge with almost a gargoyle type thing. And Gwen kind of walks out and then webs and flips upside down and sits on the underside of this gargoyle and yeah. Miles comes and joins her there. And it's just these, this really neat visual thing. Where they're hanging upside down, looking at the city, and the and the 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 camera, for lack of a better term, is kind of shifting back and forth between. You know, one minute you're like, it feels like everything like they're sitting on the ground, and then all of a sudden you realize, no, her hair is like hanging up, and then it's changing perspectives, and and they're having a talk, and and Gwen is, you know, she's dealing with some stuff. She and is. I I think to me the way again. So many smart things that they've done in these movies, where they're taking advantage of the medium to enhance the storytelling, and just that kind of slightly disoriented feeling that you get as it keeps changing perspective, and they're, they're it feels like they're upside down, but then they're right set up, but then they're upside down, and the world's right set up, and then the world's you know flipping back and forth. It it creates just a little bit of tension in you just as you're watching it that helps to better convey the tension that Gwen is feeling in her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the upside down bit really, um, calls back to that scene that that's so elegiac in that first movie where miles is falling upwards and yes. that's the same sort of thing. But now we're dealing with the tension of like having this like kind of deep conversation where these two friends are reconnecting and like, both of them are dealing with a lot of shit right now, but they're like trying to connect to each other. Um, but you are still given that upside down perspective because they're hanging hanging—they're spider people. They're hanging upside down.
1: Yeah. Um, I I like the interactions between miles and Gwen and, uh, miles's parents. I like, here's the thing. Miles mom had a lot bigger role.
0: I was just going to say that exact same thing.
1: Yeah, she's a lot stronger character, and I really, really appreciated that they brought her in more so that, again, you understand, you know, in the first movie, it seems to be so much the relationship between Miles and his dad, and that is still a central and key relationship to both the story and obviously to Miles, but we get a lot more of his mom in this one, and we understand her relationship and her role that she plays as an essential person in his life and i really really loved that and i thought that again some of those scenes with miles and gwen and and his dad and his mom like she really shines in some of those scenes
0: she's incredible and, like, they do such fun things. Again, the things you get out of this movie that you just don't get from other movies. When the, his parents are at the school having that interview with the, like, lady who works at the school. And Miles is supposed to be there. But he's busy fighting the spot. And then he shows up and he's late. And his mom is mad at him. And she's like, ign- he's, like, ignoring her or something. And she snaps her fingers at him. And a little Puerto Rican flag comes out of her fingers as she snaps her (laughs) fingers at him. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like, that's the sort of stuff you can do in an animated movie that you just can't do in live action. And it works so well as she's like, she's like talking to him in Spanish really fast and like, mijo, que estas haciendo? And you see these little Puerto Rican flags popping out of her fingers. It's really great. And yeah, yeah, I just, I love how much they, they made her a character this time. In the first one, she was there, but like, not really she had a few lines but like you like you said it's about miles and jeff but this one is about miles and his parents and the way that there's tension there where they are not sure how to react to him and what is the right thing to do with him because they've never raised a kid before they don't know what they're doing and they might have different ideas on what to do in any given situation so like one of them is like you're grounded and the other one's like nah. And the other one's like, no, you're grounded for two months now because your mom didn't agree that you were grounded. Like things like that that I'm sure come when you're in that type of relationship and you're trying to navigate parenthood with a partner and like presenting some sort of united front. But that's hard if you haven't necessarily talked about it beforehand. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I thought that they were great. Um, Yep, they were. You know, we mentioned how much fun Mumbatan is. It's very fun. Uh, Yeah,
1: super colorful, very well. Again, um, here's one of the things that highlights one of the strengths of this movie and on the flip side kind of paints in a poorer light other movies that could be thought to potentially be similar. And I'm talking about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I felt like the different Spider-verses even if glimpsed briefly, still seemed to have more thought and more character to each individual spider-verse, or if all we were getting was a person from that universe, there still was such a distinctive uh, presentation to that spider-person. Yeah. it just felt like it really played around with the idea of different universes. Uh, Yeah. Getting back to Hobie, spider-punk. I mean, there's times where He kind of looks like, I mean, he looks like the hand-drawn art from a sex pistols album or something, you know, with like the letters look like they're cut out, like a, like a ransom note type thing or things like that.
0: Yeah, And to bring it back to a thing we talked about with the last movie where like miles was before miles takes the leap miles is animated every two frames. And the other spider people are animated every one frame. And that's showing him not ready to move with the fluidity and the action necessary to be a spider person. They bring it back. Hobie is only animated every three frames. So he just looks out of sync with the other characters. And it's it's such a cool little effect because he just, again, like you said, he he has so much character and you can see it just in the way that he moves and again to compare it to doctor strange i didn't give a shit about what world that evil doctor strange came from because he was just like evil doctor strange whatever right i saw a spider-man who was a cat in this one and another one who was a tyrannosaur tell me about tyrannosaurus spider-man world (laughs) right why is there a world where he's where is a tyrannosaurus Why is, why is the Spider-Man from the insomniac games there? Yuri Lowenthal, you got two lines in this movie. Congrats brother.
1: Well, and not only that, but at the same time they pull in, I mean, I loved the little glimpse of, um, Oh crap. I'm blanking on his name, but the Donald Glover. Yes. Donald Glover. Yep. He, you know, obviously in the Tom Holland, Spider-Man's at one point, he mentions his nephew miles and so now we've got Donald Glover here as the Prowler. Like he's got a Prowler costume on. And is
0: he the Prowler from from the Tom Holland universe? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just a fun thing that they throw <laughs> in there for fun. But having him be there in live action while everyone mm-hmm. else is animated is really funny.
1: Yeah. I and mean, just so many little things that they do like that where... You just, the again, we get back to what we talked about with the first one, and one of the many things that make both of these movies such standouts is the intelligence and the thoughtfulness with which the people making the movie across the board, writers, animators, the directors, everything, They they think carefully about well, what can we do visually? What can we do with music? What can we do with all these things to enhance the story? Everything just feels, again, so thoughtful. Yeah. And and creative and interesting, and not as just a, oh, we need to put in, you know, this little scene of this here. It's like, no, this is going to be fun. And some people are going to catch this, and some people aren't. There are going to be a lot of people who watch Spider-Verse, I think, who are going to be like, who the heck was that? You know, but, and that's fine. But those who get it are going to love it.
0: The, the spider society s- scenes in particular are so rich with sight gags that the oh, more, yeah. you know, about Spider-Man and Spider-Man comics and Spider-Man TV shows and all of that stuff, the more you get out of it. You know, uh, Ben Riley is one of the Spider-People we see from one of these universes. For those of you who might not know, Ben Riley is a clone of Spider-Man from the clone saga in the 1990s when the Spider-Man comics got real messy bitchy. Um, (laughs) But like he was the clone of Spider-Man who was Spider-Man for a while when Peter Parker was dead thought he was the original Peter Parker and maybe the Peter Parker was a clone, but then Peter Parker wasn't dead and he was still Ben Ratt. It's complicated. He's in this movie and he's all like, he's so tortured and it's uh, what's his face from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and he, everything's terrible in his world so he's got to <laughs> be so, so funny. dark. It's so funny. Um. And uh, Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara is so menacing. Like- Oh Yeah. They did such a good job of me. And like, I'm predisposed to like Spider-Man 2099 because when I was a child, I received Spider-Man 2099 issue number one. And I was like, what is this comic book? He looks so cool. Instead of saying real swear words, they say the word shock. He has weird like vampire teeth and pointy pads of his fingers. What? Who is this man? Who is this man? This Spider-Man? So I'm like predisposed to like him and he was great, but so scary. So scary. Oh yeah. He's really good.
1: Well, um, and, and again, that kind of gets back to something we talked about with the first, and that is that across the board, the voice acting is fantastic. Like, it's so good. Phenomenal. It is so, so good.
0: So good. Jason Schwartzman comes in to play the spot. And, like, I think the spot is kind of a dumb character but Uh could be used really interestingly, which is exactly what they do in this movie. He starts out as a really dumb character, and it's like, this is a pretty goofy power that's not very useful. Guess what? It becomes extremely scary and extremely useful by the end of the movie. By the end of the movie, this is like a multiverse ending event the fact that this person exists at all so like they do a really good job of taking a really goofy looking character and a really dumb power set and making them extremely uh extremely scary yeah but yeah it's it's just a fun movie it's really fun i'm very excited to see where it goes i really really hope they stick the landing and i I think that they will i think they will i think
1: so also I mean, they've done such a good job with the first two and again, really seem to have a good understanding of what makes these movies stand out and, yep. and so enjoyable. So I, I think they will, and I'm, I'm hopeful, but yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. And it was, it was great if you've listened this far and you haven't seen it, I'm sorry that we spoiled it. You need to go watch it still. Do not think that you have uh, understood this movie just because you heard us talk about it and talk about what happens. This is a movie to see. It's a movie to enjoy. And, uh, it's a movie to honestly, again, it's one of those movies that it just, it makes me happy that it exists.
0: And if you go see it, we'll keep getting movies like this. Yeah. Cause true. that's the thing. Like ultimately art is great, but you've got to support great art. If you want there to be more great art because commerce is still tied to it. And especially for something like this, where it's got the backing of a huge company, it needs to make the money that a backing of a huge company makes. And thankfully they have, it's made good money. A B the sequel's basically done. It comes out in March. Like, yeah, it's like it's in the bag. We're getting a sequel to this and and we don't have to worry about that. But like if we want people like this to keep making movies like this, we need to go see movies like this. Yeah. So will I go see that new TMNT movie? Maybe, because the animation looks dope as hell.
1: Yes it does.
0: Do I care about the Ninja Turtles? Not like I used to when I was a kid. Do I hold a lot of fondness for that first Ninja Turtles movie? Yes. Will I go see that new one? Because it looks like they learned all the right lessons from Spider-Verse while still putting their own spin on it. Maybe I will. Yeah. But we can wrap there. It's a really good movie. It's really fun. The cast is super great again. The inside jokes are so incredible. There's so many goofy things. There's a man who's a therapist, and he's talking to one of the spider people about how it was just so sad when his uncle... Of course he was sad when his uncle died. He's a spider person. But there's a spider <laughs> therapist there to talk to him about it. Yeah. It's great.
1: It really is.
0: Metro Spider was there, Sun Spider was there. Um the Spider-Man that's a car, whose name I can't remember, was there. Cuz why wouldn't yeah. you put the Spider-Man that's a car in there? Cuz <laughs> yes, there's a universe where everyone is cars and Spider-Man is a car. You got to have Goofy, man. It's fun. My only complaint is that we have not had Spider-Man on screen yet. So I hope in movie 3 We get Spider's Man. Do you know Spider's Man?
1: I do not know Spider's Man.
0: He's from a universe where what if a critical mass of spiders gained sentience and shared consciousness, and therefore (laughs) they become a a superhero who looks like Spider-Man made up of billions of spiders.
1: (laughs) That's kind of terrifying.
0: So when he needs to, they can turn into all just spiders and disappear and mess things up because there are millions of spiders. So hopefully spiders man will make an appearance. We'll see movie three. It's in March. We don't have to wait too long, but thank goodness. Thank you all. Thank you all for listening. Go see the movie. It was fun. Um, Going out to the movies. is just nice. You know, I missed it during the, during the COVID era. I just like going to see a movie on an enormous screen in a nice, like mid reclining seat, but, it's nice enough and just having a good time just seeing a movie
1: so go see movies that's what i'm saying go see movies and go see this movie
0: yeah go see this movie you don't need to go see transformers rise of the beasts you can wait till that's on streaming go see this one
1: <laughs> very good well until all right next time, if, yeah go ahead i was just gonna say until next time i think that you know These are two movies in a row that honestly are some of the very best that we've watched for the podcast and just in general, just so, so good.
0: Just real bangers. Yep. All right. We will talk to you all in a couple of weeks. If you have any, uh, questions or comments you want to share with us, you can always email us at feedback at the middle of culture.com. Leave a review, leave some stars. We'll give you a kiss. Um, and until next time, we'll talk to you later.
1: Bye.